I know a thing or two about a thing or two. Aspect Radio. From the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, this is Aspect Radio. I'm Corey Craig. And I've been Flanagan today. Sasha Baron Cohen is tapped to play Queen lead singer Freddie Mercury. Mark Wahlberg and Christian Bale put up their dukes in the fighter. And I'm still here, director Casey Affleck comes clean, sort of. We'll also give you a shot at winning a pair of tickets to see the Bama Art House series screening of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo next Tuesday. But first, Corey, grab your Red Sox cap and bulletproof vest as we head to director and star Ben Affleck's bank robbery drama, The Town. When someone endures an experience like this, there are often residual effects. <laughs> okay. It's a bad week. I like to have a good cry in the nail salon. <laughs> Why should we buy entry? There are over 300 bank robberies in Boston every year. Most of these professionals live in a one square mile neighborhood called Charlestown. Is your parents still here? My mother moved away and my father. You don't get out much. I'm thinking about making a change. Making a change. Either you got here or you don't. Personally, 
conversation between Ben Affleck and Rebecca Hall where he sort of gives us his entire backstory yeah. and why he is the way he is through this extended monologue while they're out in this garden. And through that, we're supposed to forgive him of all his sins as this violent bank robber just because he might have some mommy issues. It doesn't really work. Well, I mean, when you look back a couple weeks ago at our discussion of, of the American, to, to sort of reference uh, another show that we did, another movie that's out now, uh, the American is a completely stripped down, completely bare sort of crime thriller uh, that doesn't really even thrill that much, but, but it instead examines one character and what motivates him to do what he does. Well, in the town, it seems like the town sort of wants to do that sort of thing with Ben Affleck, sort of explain his motivations, but it also saddles this character and this story with so many extraneous subplots and supporting characters that don't lead anywhere. If the town wants to be a story about Ben Affleck uh, turning away from crime or whatever, let it be that, and you know, don't saddle it with this subplot about the, the ice rink at the Boys and Girls Club or um, Blake Lively's character. I, I still don't really understand what that was going for. Or Titus Wellover's FBI partner, John Hamm, who is, you know, in one scene is revealed to have been from, you know, Ben Affleck's mm-hmm. neighborhood. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of these elements feel like they're leading somewhere and they feel like they're going to be pertinent to the plot. But the plot culminates in a shootout mm-hmm. in which none of these things are relevant. Mm-hmm. So the movie just feels padded, and it just feels like it's padded with all of these unnecessary scenes and unnecessary characters and unnecessary subplots that don't add to anything. Right, and there really is no emotional payoff in this movie for me, especially I think the one that the, the subplot or really the relationship in the movie that deserved the payoff was that between Ben Affleck and Jeremy Renner. Um, right. They have this tension throughout the movie because Jeremy Renner, he is the one who takes Rebecca Hall hostage when they're not supposed to. And Ben Affleck is the one who's uh, supposed to, I guess, erase, erase the problem um, that she lives in Charlestown. One guy says four blocks from where I live because they've stolen her ID. And this could become something that lingers as she is questioned by the FBI and puts them in more of a compromising position. And so Jeremy Renner, he wants her out of there. He wants her basically killed, essentially, or just gotten rid of somehow. And Ben Affleck, oh boy, he falls for her. And I think that there are some nice scenes between the two of them sure. um, that show off some nice acting. Uh, from Jeremy Renner, he's a fine actor. He does. He probably does arguably the best job in this movie. I think he does. Yeah, very good in this movie. He just doesn't really have anything to work with because that character doesn't, he doesn't pay off in any significant way. And again, this wouldn't necessarily be a problem, but the movie builds it up. Yeah. You know, it builds up some sort of tension between the two that you, there's an expectation that it will be resolved. And I think, you know, the assumption is that this, this subplot is resolved with, like, body language, particularly near the end of the movie, or something like that. I, mean, I don't want to get too much into that for obvious reasons, right. but it doesn't really do that. It, you know, Affleck, I don't know if he's capable, I guess, of conveying that tension at the end of the movie in that scene, um, or, or that, I don't know, how that affects him. Yeah, it's interesting that you say this is all resolved with a shootout, and it really is, because you have these setups, and they're sort of gunned down in a way, that you have this um, cop-out. I guess, with the shootout where, you know, basically you're going to let the cops and robbers decide it by the end. And I wish, you know, honestly, I, I would have liked more backstory if they were going to provide it for anybody from maybe John Hamm. I think that they maybe should have given his character more of an arc to where we care about his pursuit of these guys. He's, just, he's a stock cop character, and, you know, he's, he's mean, so we can sympathize with Ben Affleck more. There's nothing to do are some parts there. I think that there's a strong scene, especially between him and Blake Wively towards the end, or he, she, so he is trying that is good, that is well written. Yeah, he's trying to convince her to basically betray uh, Ben Affleck and his crew, and John Hamm does a fine job with it. He's a great, I think John Hamm's a great actor, I mean, as we've seen on Mad Men, and I think Blake Wively does a good enough job, too. I think that more, well, I think more than one person is going to be heading in the 
history is nothing more than a hoops, or more specifically, an exercise in performance art. Affleck told the paper, quote, I never meant to trick anybody, and, quote, it was the best performance of his, Phoenix's career. Ben does knowing that this is all an elaborate hoax, which it seemed to be anyway, make you not want to see this movie, or does it, does it strike you, I guess, another way of asking this question, does it strike you as Joaquin Phoenix wasting two years? Look, if that's what he wanted to do artistically, fine. Uh, you know, I guess it, it wasn't wasting two years, but I mean, his image took a hit. My bigger question here is, why should I care either way? Um, why should, you know, do I want to see this movie? I think that at this point, I would see this movie if it were in town. I'd probably just go see it. But reading more and more about it is not making me want to see it anymore, I guess. I do want to see it. I think it does go on demand next Friday, so I might see it that way. Um, I guess <laughs> I was never really fooled by this, and I guess that's what you know, all the cool people say when something like this is revealed to be a hoax. But to be honest, it all seemed—it always seemed a bit too desperate. You know, it was always suspicious that Casey Affleck was following him with a camera and was sort of standing on the the, the side off, just off the set of the David Letterman show when Working Phoenix had his little meltdown a year ago. Um, it all seemed too desperate and too obvious to be real, if that makes sense. You know, of course he's going to have a you know a snap and grow a big bushy beard and wear sunglasses inside. You know, I mean, it just. And quit acting and sort of wrap the rear air, and it was just all drugs. Yeah. So obvious. So much. You know, I, I don't doubt that maybe, you know, he got sick of it, you know, got sick of acting, started doubting himself, and decided to do something like this, you know. You know, maybe there are elements of truth here, but obviously it was never, you know, to the degree of let's let me go completely nuts and start doing drugs and grow a big beard. I would be way more interested in this as a hoax and as a performance than I would if it were a true story. Because why do I care about Joaquin Phoenix's sudden, um, I guess, disdain for his own profession through what he's doing and his highly privileged lifestyle? You know what I mean? That true story doesn't really appeal to me. So if this is um, Joaquin Phoenix basically sort of his and Casey Affleck's take on what some washed up punk actor would do in that scenario. That, to me, is much more interesting. I think Joaquin Phoenix is a great actor. Well, it, it strikes me that he wanted to do a Sasha Baron Cohen style of performance art here, but, you know, the only persona he could subvert is his own, because it's not like he can, you know, become unrecognizable. He's, he's a pretty recognizable guy, multi-time uh, multi Academy Award nominee. So, I don't know, I mean, like, I guess we'll see if it was worth sort of impugning his career for, but uh, we'll see. I mean, I'd like to see the movie. I'm, I'm curious to see what what exactly they're going for. I, you know, I suspect it's some sort of satire of celebrity, you know, how the media covers it or something like that, but we'll, you know, we'll see. Well, you'll have your chance next week. Let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll offer up our favorite Boston set movies and maybe a few of our favorite, not, or excuse me, our not-so-favorite movies, as well as some picks from our listeners. So stick around. This is Aspect Radio. I like the nurse's uniform guy. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? Welcome back to Aspect Radio. We're back to show some love to a few films set in beautiful Boston. We don't have to restrict this to a top five, so let's just share what we've got. Then why don't you start us off? Okay, um... My first one will be, I suspect, on a lot of people's worst list, but the more I watched it, and it, I don't know if it came on TV a lot, maybe it came on HBO several years ago on repeat, and it just managed to grow on me. It's Fever Pitch, the movie about the obsessed Boston Red Sox fan as played by Jimmy Fallon and his relationship with Drew Barrymore and how she copes with his obsession. And this was originally written as a book called Fever Pitch um, by Nick Hornsby, I think. And it was a nice soccer fan in England. And it was made also into a movie, I think, starring Colin Firth, which I haven't seen. That's right, yeah, I haven't seen it either. But uh, I remember when this came out, I was sort of, you know, not against it, but I just didn't. 
I think Jimmy Fallon's performance is so funny in this. I, I, I've always been a Jimmy Fallon fan from SNL uh, up to this point. I just think he's incredibly likable in there. Romance is incredibly likable, and I think Boston is shot very well by the Farrelly brothers, who obviously have an appreciation for it and love for it. And none of the, I guess, Boston characteristics that we see in a lot of these other movies are really forced down our throats, like the accents. Of course, it's about Boston Red Sox fandom, so that will be, I mean, that's the point of the movie. But I never really felt annoyed by anything in this movie. So, I mean, that's that's one of my picks. It's likable, it's charming. So, well, I actually agree with you. I, I think this is a pretty good movie. Um, I, I did see it in theaters and was, was charmed, but I was. I, been kind of a uh, Boston Red Sox fan for a long time. Yeah, so you wear the hat. So, of course, I was going to see the movie. So, um, I, I actually do have kind of a top five. Um, let me start off by saying that the Mystic River, Clint Eastwood's movie, is not on my list. Um, not because I dislike it, but because I think that's kind of the standby for Boston movies. It's sort of what put made the Boston movie, in quotes, like kind of hip again and sort of legitimate. Um, I don't know if you're going to talk about that, maybe you will. Well, let's talk about that really fast right now. Uh, that didn't make my list, and it came close to making my worst list. Um, wow. When I first saw it, I kind of went with the crowd and said, okay, it's good. But as I've watched it throughout the years, I really don't think that that movie's aged very well. I think it's great. It, to me, every time I watch it, it gets cornier and cornier. It, it feels very melodramatic, whether that's delivered on the part of Clint Eastwood, that's fine. But, I mean, you talk about handy performances and bad Boston accents. Look no further than Larry Fishburne in this movie. Uh, Kevin Bacon to Tim Robbins. How he won an Oscar for this movie is beyond me. That was a great performance. And I thought, I don't know, and Sean Penn, I mean, he's Sean Penn. And I, you know, I think he gave a better performance in another movie that year anyway. And, yeah, he still won the Oscar. Uh, but, I don't know, it, I, it's... I think the score is the best part of that movie. It's a good score, but I think you're off base <laughs> with what you're saying here. Okay. Um, but it's not, again, it's not on my list. Um, crane shot. <laughs> let's let's get the crane shot in there. And yeah. screaming no as 30 people hold him back. That's not my job. Yeah. It's a good shot, Tim, Corey. Thanks. Thanks. Um, They'll never do it again. <laughs> uh, well, let's, let's bring up um, a pick from earlier this year, actually. Um, not, not really set in the city of Boston proper, but set in Boston Harbor at a terrifyingly remote island, uh, Shutter Island, to be precise. Uh, Martin Scorsese's recent uh, psycho thriller. We can count that. Yeah. yeah. Boston Harbor. It, it counts. They have Boston accents. They, they do. They do. Um, I don't real, really know what to say about this movie that we haven't already yet. I suspect we're going to keep talking about this through, though, as the year goes on. Yeah, and my number four is something that is set in Boston, and I didn't really remember that until I was doing some research before the show. It's Todd Field's Little Children. That's my number four, though. Well, it's a great film, and in 2006, until I saw it, Nacho Libre dominated the movie year as my favorite movie. <laughs> but when I saw Little Children, it, it, it met its equal, and it is my co-winner for Best Movie of 2006. I think it's brilliant. I think that it's now criminally underrated, and it further established Todd Field as someone to watch very closely. And I can't wait to see what his third movie will be. This is a guy who obviously learned a thing or two while he was on the set of Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Um, and it has excellent performances by Patrick Wilson, Jennifer Connelly, Kate Winslet, Jackie Earl Haley. Everybody's bringing their A game here, and I, I, I think the movie looks great. And I guess it's shot in what would be considered a suburb of the Boston area. We don't think that's we don't get too many big city uh, or urban sets, I guess, or settings in the movie. But it looks great, and I, I was always fond of the locale of it. It's a great movie. I can't wait to revisit that movie. Yeah, it's, it's a great movie for sure. Uh, one more great performance from that movie. If like that, no Enrique. Absolutely. Who uh, is shaky at times, but he's very well well utilized in this movie. Very good. Uh, well, that's my number four as well. What's your, what's your number three? I'm trying to remember what my number three is since I don't have it in front of me, but I'll go ahead and jump to my number two, which I think is going to be a highly obvious pick, and we're going to hear uh, from our listeners with this pick. It's Martin Scorsese's Best Picture winner from 2006, that same year, The Departed. Well, that's my number three. So okay, well, that works out. Definitely does work out. Uh, again, I mean, my, I don't know what it is. My 
reservations about these Boston set movies, and I should get over my accent problem as soon as possible and just learn to live with it. But again, I was worried about it going into this instead of this, um, you know, sort of glamorous Italian mafia uh, underworld that we had seen in Martin Scorsese's films like Goodfellas and Casino, where thrown into the more grimy Irish mafia landscape in The Departed. And I guess that was a little. Um, that was a huge contrast for me the first time I saw it. I thought it was it was a fine movie, not one of Scorsese's best efforts. But this is an outstanding crime drama. Uh, just this thriller with unbelievable performances, uh, namely Leonardo DiCaprio in the lead, uh, who totally pulls off not only the accent, but just I felt like he was a part of that environment. Well, when this movie came out a couple of years ago, you instantly had people saying things like, well, that's not as good as Goodfellas. <laughs> No raging bull with taxi driver. It's not, but, but but you know what? In the years since this movie has come out, it has permeated the popular culture. It is a movie that people of our generation adore. You know, I, I have a feeling that this movie will go on, in fact, to to gain the status, whether or not it's as good of a film, you know, is irrelevant, but it will go on to gain the status of something like Goodfellas and something like Taxi Driver in the Martin Scorsese uh, sort of lineup. Because people love this movie and people quote this movie incessantly. You know, it, it is one of those things that sort of captured everybody's attention. And, uh, and for that, you know, saying, well, it's not as good as Goodfellas, you know, it's kind of hard to make that judgment now because I still think, I do think that this movie uh, is going to enjoy that rarefied status uh, among our generation. Um, I think it's very good to you and, and, and imminently rewatchable because it's just. It's got such a great script, uh, and it's so well shot, it just moves, you know, for being a somewhat lengthy movie, it, it just, it flies. Well, why don't you go ahead with your number two, because yeah. I'm already up to my number one. Uh, my number two, um, kind of a cheat, actually, because it's not entirely set in Boston, but a significant portion of it is, it's Spike Lee's Malcolm X, um, the biopic, of course, of the, uh, of the civil rights activist, uh, Starting Denzel Washington, a significant por- portion of Malcolm X's early life, including his sentence to, in prison, took place in Boston. And I don't think that movie takes place, but I don't think it's it's a cheat. But Malcolm X is a great movie. Uh, and again, talk about well-paced, lengthy movies. Um, Spike Lee really, really knows what he's doing here. For being so relatively early in his career, um, just so well put together, so well acted. It's so a great well movie. I'd say it's arguably Spike Lee's masterpiece. I'd, I'd still give that to do the right thing, but Malcolm uh, X is, is a close second. My close second would be He Got Game, but we digress. Um, my number one is still one of my favorite movies, and it comes on cable every now and then, and I watch it every single time. Um, Celtic Pride. Starring Daniel Sternatis, um, Good Will Hunting, directed by Gus Van Sant, starring Matt Damon, of course, co-written by Damon and Affleck, who showed major chops as writers and as actors earlier in their careers. It's something that affected me at a young age on an emotional level. It's something that helped me appreciate films even more. Um, it's perfect, I think, for our generation. It's, it's a must-see movie um, for young men and women. It's just a, a, it's a, it's a mainstream story, but it's in that it's one that appeals to the masses, I think. I think that this works for everybody. It, it works for people who dig on uh, Gus Van Sant's art movies and uh, people who like the more mainstream stuff that he might throw out there. I thought that this was a deserving Best Picture nominee, and I wish it had won. It was up against, obviously, a Titanic um, of a movie, and it had no shot. But I love it. And... Damon's performance, I think, deserved the Oscar as well. And it was nice to see Robin Williams walk away with it that year. He was up against Burt Reynolds, of course. I think that that was a bit of a showdown, and we didn't know which way it was going to go. Um, Robert Forster. Robert Forster. Nice. Yeah. Wasn't going to happen. Should have. Well, Robin Williams is incredible in this movie, as is still in Skarsgård and Casey Affleck and um, there, yeah, old Hauser. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> he just lost that um, edge, apparently, in terms of acting ability. Uh, but no, I think that this is probably the, the purest Boston film experience that you're going to find out there. And for my money, I haven't been there. My brother and sister have been there, but I, I 
costs and, and what I've seen depicted in the news or documentaries, this is probably the most authentic that you're going to find. Too. It's a great city, and that's a great movie. Um, my number one, I'm going to take this sort of obscure, highbrow art film uh, route here, and uh, my number one is actually a film from 1973 called The Friends of Eddie Coyle. It was you know, released on DVD for the first time last year by the Criterion Collection, uh, directed by Peter Yates, a guy who did Bullet and Breaking Away. So uh, what, what impresses me so much about this movie is uh, its sense of place, something we talked about in the town, but, but Boston feels like a character in this movie, uh, which is about uh, a low-level gun runner named Eddie Coyle, played by Robert Mitchum in one of his best film roles, I would say, the sort of uh, beaten-down, low-level hood uh, who is thought to be, you know, a snitch by, uh, by the Irish mob um, when he's picked up for, uh, for running guns, and, and that, as they say, is that um, for him. But uh, it's, it's a great movie. It really is. It, it, it's, um, I don't know, I mean, nobody's seen it, so it's kind of hard to talk about. Great. You know, that comes on cable every now and then, too. That's actually, yeah, you know, if you have, like, the Encore uh, set of channels. Yeah, and then, like I said, there's a Criterion Collection uh, DVD. I mean, it's just shot, yeah, like you said, in that gritty 70s style. Mm -hmm. um, it's got some great bank robbery scenes. Uh, you know, and Robert Mitchell, man, he's so good. So I have uh, Mitchum in the latter part of his career giving a good performance, and you have a, a fun performance from Peter Boyle yes. as well, too. Mean, uh, profane Peter Boyle, which we can't get into. It's it is fun. And that's your, that's your number one. Well, let's get into some listener feedback, Corey. Chime in over our new, brand new Facebook page, uh, which you can find at facebook.com slash aspectradio, are several of our listeners with their own best and worst Boston movies. Peterson Hill writes in Mystic River, the Friends of Eddie Coyle as his best. And if Boston's surrounding areas count, then Jaws, of course, something I, I didn't personally consider, but, uh, you know, Massachusetts is close to this criteria. Yeah. Um, on Clint Eastwood's 2003 Best Picture nominee, he writes, the film is one of the most incredible uses of a time and space. That film evokes a mentality that has been embedded into men, much of which comes from the street of South Boston. Sean Penn's, Sean Penn's performance is perhaps the great embodiment of grief in the past decade. Tim Robbins is also wonderful. Well, then you appear to disagree. Me and Peterson and I, we disagree on that one. Yeah. Uh, his worst is one of your favorites, the Jimmy Fallon, Drew Barrymore, comedy fever pinch, which, as it turns out, is also our friend Pascalici's favorite Boston movie. He says, while he hates Barrymore, I can't think of a Boston-based movie I enjoyed more than Fever Pitch of the best movies ever made about being a sports fan. Which yeah. I can appreciate, too, yeah, because he's a huge Alabama Crimson Tide fan. I just, I mean, Drew Barrymore has never really inspired any sort of feeling in me one way or another. I don't see hating her either. Yeah, she's, you know, I'm, pa I'm past that point. Yeah, I remember that. that reaction. That, yeah. That it's needless. It's needless. Trey Irby says his best is Scorsese's Oscar winner, The Departed. And if the Daniel Stern, Dan Aykroyd comedy, Celtic Pride counts as a Boston movie, then that would most definitely be his worst. I hadn't seen that movie. Yeah, and somebody I know, actually, Davidson Park, he actually wrote that Celtic Pride, I think rather facetiously. Uh, we might present him here with this comment. Celtic Pride is his favorite Boston movie. Is that, I, yeah, I, I don't really know anything about this movie. It's a comedy with Daniel Stern and Dan Aykroyd as these obsessed Boston Celtics fans who kidnap a Utah Jazz star played by Damon Williams so that the Utah Jazz won't beat the Celtics in the NBA Finals. Oh, man. Concerning Gail O'Grady, post NYPD Blue. How, how is that not, though, everybody's number one thing? Ah, I saw it at the theater, man, so let's just stop right there. Uh, before we take our last break, let's give away some tickets. Corey, playing at the Bama Art House movie series next Tuesday is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the first adaptation of Stig Larson's beloved Millennium Trilogy starting at 8 p.m. at the Bama Theater in downtown Tuscaloosa next Tuesday. We have a pair of tickets to give to the listener who can answer the following question. Ben Affleck's first film as director, Gone Baby Gone, featured critically acclaimed performances from a large ensemble of actors, but only one of these actors went on to capture an Academy Award nomination. For a pair of tickets to see the girl with the dragon tattoo, all you have to do is tell
that's a gimme man. That's a gimme. This is an easy this is an easy win, people. So if you know the answer, call in at three four eight nine zero seven zero or tweet the answer to us at twitter.com slash aspect radio. We're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we'll offer up some DVD picks. Stick around this is aspect radio. Call in with that answer. Yeah, it shouldn't play so rough. Somebody's gonna start crying. Welcome back to Aspect Radio. Time to offer up some DVD picks. Corey, please, please, please give us something new that also happens to be halfway decent. Well, if halfway decent is what you're looking for, Ridley Scott's Robin Hood gets DVD and Blu-ray on Tuesday. And I think we reviewed that earlier in the year, back in May when it came out. You reviewed that. I haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't seen it. I still haven't seen it. Um, Well, halfway decent is a good way to describe it because uh, while it doesn't really bring anything new to the Robin Hood mythos and perhaps would have been much better suited not really being a Robin Hood movie at all, just being another Crusades epic for Ridley Scott, uh, it's okay. It looks nice. Um, It just ambles on, you know, harmlessly. Uh, As it seems Ridley Scott is doing with the latter part of his career. Yeah. Um, so I, mean, I like Kingdom of Heaven a lot. This is, my friends, no Kingdom of Heaven, but it is a, it's a fun way to pass the time. I guess. If that's what you have to say, this is no Kingdom of Heaven, then I don't know how excited I'm going to get. Kingdom, Kingdom of Heaven, Heaven. theatrical cut, even um, the director's cut is, is, is legitimately good, but the theatrical cut had some problems. Uh, also on DVD and Blu-ray, two movies that I didn't have the chance to see. Uh, the first, Undine, which is the new film from Neil Jordan, the director of uh, The Crying Game, among other films, starring Colin Farrell uh, as an Irish fisherman who catches a woman in his nets, sort of a play on the selfie myth, I believe. Uh, but I haven't seen this again. Neil Jordan, though, is, is uh, a filmmaker always to watch out for, uh, in my opinion. Did he do an interview with the vampire? Yeah, he did. It's a good one. Um, he also did The Brave One, that was his last movie before this, which was terrible. But I won't hold that against him. Uh, particularly since he has enlisted the great cinematographer Christopher Doyle to shoot this movie with him, which almost instantly makes it worth seeing just on that on that note. Um, also on DVD and Blu-ray, another movie that I haven't seen but will be catching out immediately uh, this year's winner of the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film, The Secret in Their Eyes. A uh, friend of the show, Phil Owen, actually has seen this. It was okay. It screened at the Bama Art House series uh, over the summer, too, but I missed it then for whatever reason. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's a murder mystery of some sort, I think. I don't really know much about it. The trailer doesn't give too much away at all. Well, Oscar voters seem to like it out of, I mean, compared to a prophet. <laughs> and, uh, the white ribbon. The white ribbon. So, so it better be good. Yeah. Good. I'll say arms. That's, I think, missing from your list here is a colon title, Corriere's. We mentioned that last week, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. Uh, you mentioned that last uh, week. Actually, yeah, I, 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 want say, I want to say, I listened to the show. Uh, Graham did a more than capable job of, of filling in for me. Um, there he said Prince of Persia was, like, my favorite movie or something. Right. And he also said that I was a Glee fan. Right. The problem is I actually am a Right. I knew that. I, I was going to take up for you, but I just wanted to let Graham have his moment. So he, he had his moment, but Graham, that, you know, I wear that badge proudly, but I do really like that show. And that, yeah, that was released on DVD this past week, or worst season. Well, uh, for Netflix, I have a Steven Spielberg movie that I have yet to see, always from the late 80s, starring Richard Dreyfuss, Holly Hunter, and John Goodman. I'm also nearly finished with season one of Friday Night Lights. It's a slow process, these television dramas. Corey, as you're well aware, we somehow managed to convince a couple of people to lend some credibility to this show and spend some time with us in the coming weeks. We've got some special guests joining the program soon, confirmed this past week. Steve Prokopi, a.k.a. Capone from Any Cool News, will join us to talk to the social network and let me in on October 2nd. That's going to be a show you can't miss. Yes, please do not miss that show. That is going to be awesome. And this one, please do not miss as well. I'm so excited about both of these. On October 9th, Chicago Tribune film critic and former At The Movies co-host Michael Phillips will appear on the show. Corey, my question to you, how is it possible that we're doing this, and are we doing something right? I think that we're so desperate for credibility that we're, we're grabbing up anybody who has some. Yeah, but no, I'm thrilled. This is this is tremendous. Do these people pity us, or what? <laughs> they must. These, these no-account little, little people in Tuscaloosa doing a podcast slash radio show. Uh, but, but you can't you can't miss either of these shows. They 
guests in the future. Hopefully things will work out as we confirm these. We'll update them on our Facebook page, on Twitter. We'll let you know. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. An opening nationwide in Tuscaloosa at the Cobb Hollywood 16, The Town, which we reviewed today with Ben Affleck, Jeremy Renner for Echo and John Hamm, among others, ETA with Emma Stone, Patricia Clarkson, and Penn Badgley. Corey, you need to check that out. Okay. Devil, written and produced by M. Night Shyamalan. That, feel, that fills me with trepidation, but I've heard, I've heard mixed things leaning towards positive about this. Um, so who knows? Yeah. See, I can't say I think that might be. I have a feature in the red box in, in my feature. And you can also email any of your feedback to 90.7movies at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at, at aspectradio, twitter.com slash aspectradio. Download this and other episodes of the show on our blog at aspectradio.tumblr.com. Tumblr spelled T-U-M-B-L-R. We'll also post the podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And you can now find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash aspectradio. So head on over and become a fan by clicking the like button. Help us reach 100 friends. Or yeah, 97 friends. So close. Gosh, I was excited to have one fan. And the fact that we're about to hit triple digits just totally excites me. So thank you to all who have liked this page. And please tell your friends to do so. If you like film, you're going to like this, I think. So encourage them to we'll find something to like and put them. Yeah, true that. And last but not least, check us out on AL.com, the state's number one news and information service. Just scroll down the homepage or search Aspect Radio. And do not forget to visit our friend Matt Scalici's website, filmnerds.com, where Matt continues to travel through time with his Back to the Movie series, individually chronicling the top 50 grocers of 1983. And I think he's in the 30s now. So... Good on you, Matt. <laughs> Keep it up, man. Many thanks to WVUA station manager Claire Brucker and program director Chris Dotson, as well as a friend of ours, Brandon Andrews, for their support and contributions to the show. And until next week, I'm Ben Flanagan. I'm Corey Kraft. This is Aspect Radio, and thanks for listening.